And when you really sat down and said, what are the things that I really slay at? And I don't care if it's as simple as riding a bike or, or cooking great rice. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter. Everybody has these some things that they just nail it at. And that is your gift to the world. And our job as marketers is to create as many opportunities for you to get to do that thing that you slay at, serving people that don't slay at that, so you can live in this constant joy of abundance of going, wow, this is why I was put on this earth, is to do this and I'm getting to do it and people see so much value in my gifts. I'm excited because my next guest today is an incredible guy. Um, I met him a while ago at a conference um, with uh, Dan Mendelo, actually, who was another one of my guests. Uh, he was actually my last guest um, before I stopped for a while. But um, I met this gentleman at this at this event, and he's a really great guy, really easygoing, easy to talk to, just an incredible gentleman. So um, he's actually a LinkedIn top voice and digital marketing Jedi who has built $100 million uh, for brands through strategic video content marketing. So $100 million of revenue. So in layman's terms, he's a LinkedIn influencer and well, you know, Jedi. Uh, at giving brands a voice online and uses that voice to drive incredible revenue through those businesses. Um, and by the way, my guests will be sharing an incredible leading uh, learning source, excuse me, for your benefit at the end of the interview. So if you'd like to take advantage of his incredible expertise, be sure to stick around with us until then. So he's also got an extensive background in theater and naturally in the internet world as a web designer, web developer, project manager, educator, and now an independent marketing expert. Well, he's been an independent marketing expert for quite a while. Um, but the reason why he's on my show is because he has a very exciting and inspirational story he'd like to share with you. It's a story of passion and how that influenced his idea that you are a gift to the world and you are always prosperous. And that's because your education, your talents and gifts can never be taken away from you. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce the voice of Scooter Computer from ABC's Schoolhouse Rock, Mr. Daryl Stern. How are you? Well, Sean, people have been waiting anxiously, I think about two years, I think it was when we first met for this interview and your audience, you haven't done an interview for a while. So everybody's been biting at their teeth, just waiting, just holding on through everything that we're else that we're going through in life, that all that other stuff you hear on the TV about that, that thing that's going on where you got to stay home and say, that's nothing compared to the people that have been waiting for this interview. <laughs> right. I love it. Awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's awesome. It's exciting to have you here. So, um, now because that powerful mantra that you're very adamant about and, and, and I appreciate that actually is about your education, your education, your talents and gifts and things like that. Um, given that powerful mantra, let's, let's jump into your story. Like, let's talk about the thing that you wanted to tell me and my audience about. Well, the mantra, first off, Sean, thanks for reading exactly. I mean, all those amazing things about me. I don't know where you copied that from or made that up from, but that <laughs> sounded brilliant. I've never heard it said that way before. I was very, that's what, this is one of the first times in a long time. I'm very impressed with myself. I never heard it so well spelled out that way. 
Uh, so, uh, well, we okay. So we can go backstory, but I I want to bring us into this world of this. We're we're currently in a crisis where we're supposed to stay isolated. We're supposed to stay home. We're supposed to, you know, not have any contact. A and we can get on this and maybe in this episode, maybe another one. That that's extremely mentally draining and spiritually draining to stay by yourself. First off. But the second part is, and it leads into what I do in my business, is this question. What if you could wake up every day in the joy of knowing that you had something else in you from your knowledge, from your gifts, from your education that you just had to teach other people because it is such an amazing thing how much you know. Now, when you get back into you know, this, this current situation we're in with this little flu bug thing that's named after some kind of beer, it's all a big Dos Equis marketing ploy, I swear. People will get that maybe if you think about it. So, so uh, th- what I teach and what I, what I help people realize is that, you know, hey, using their phone, learning a little bit about how YouTube works um, and this reverse engineering thing, which we'll talk to you about maybe a little later called SEO, where you're lining up, you know, the question that you can answer in a way that when people search for that question, you literally come up with having the answer of it. Um, Then you're able to reach bounds that you never could before. And believe it or not, you can do it in quarantine. You don't need to even go outside to spread the word about yourself, make connections and all that. And I, I, I'm reaching out right now in my life to as many people as I can that aren't very internet savvy, that perhaps have been, you know, running a yoga place. We're trying to save a yoga place right now in, in, in here in Colorado and a bunch of other businesses where I'm saying, look, you can't do that anymore. At least not right now. You can't do this service in person. We've got to shift this over. So, um, the, the mantra, you are a gift to the world and the world needs your gifts comes from this, 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 this feeling and this center of that knowledge being felt in you very heartfelt and very soul felt. So you can always be present, which is one thing that we don't like to do too much. We were constantly in thought. Most of these thoughts perhaps are of what happened last week, last year, 20 years ago, something or other. Right. right? And we're not really fully present because we're being drawn by our thoughts, you know, back into that. So we'll get into that more. Um, I can tell you, I'll give you the moral of the story and then we can work backwards in my life. What I really figured out is that when you can truly wake up in that abundance of being present and knowing that people are putting their trust in you now and more people need you that haven't heard about you yet. And you can fully be in that abundance and joyful feeling of this amazing adventure in life. Uh, then you can really escape from all that, the gremlins, uh, in your mind that are distracting you and pulling you into the past and pulling you down the roads of negativity. I'm glad you brought that up. It actually reminds me of my my grandfather who always tells me, you know, to be joyful. Okay, he's very he's a very spiritual guy. He's a religious guy, but his he's always consistently positive. Everything is always about being joyful. You have to be joyful. You have to be joyful every day. You have to be joyful around the people you love and you care about. And I'm excited about the next, the pieces that we're going to be talking about later, which is about education and learning and improving yourself, obviously. But he has something before he continue there, but he has 
his quote, I've actually considered tattooing this on my body because it's so powerful to me anyway. But he says, energize your mind with the desire to learn. And he's said that to me every single day as I've been growing up, and it's a very impactful thing to me. And hopefully that's impactful to you and other people listening to this right now. But it's just incredible, you know, just that simple little thing, energizing your mind with the desire to learn. 100%, Sean. And and what my, what my father taught me is there are certain things that no one can take away from you. No, no person, no force of nature, nothing, which is your education, your knowledge, and your gifts, which when we say gifts, we're talking about those things that you slay at. You might be an awesome skateboarder. You may know how to knit masks, you know, which we need right now. You may know how to, you know, whatever, you know, you may know how to make clay pots or you may know how to do help people in personal development or fix cars. You know, those things can never take a, be taken away from you. And while you then, therefore, you are always prosperous. Now, getting back to your, by the way, my dad was a philosophy professor. So we can just go on and on <laughs> and philosophical, you know, ta- you know, tantrum that we're having. I love it. So about the joy, right? where you can always be joyful. Here's the crazy part. If you really fully embrace that, I can be joyful that my mom died of cancer. I can be joyful that I got in an argument. I can be joyful that somebody ripped me off and stole my car. I can find joy in everything when I'm really, really, truly trapped into this, 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 this knowledge that's also this feeling that we're all on the way to our ultimate destiny. And this is all just part of our adventure story. And it's right. supposed to be this way. This is good. This was supposed to happen in the Jedi. Oh, I'm not wearing my Jedi shirt today. I'm wearing my New Jersey shirt today. And you guys can't see it because it's not a podcast, but I thought I'd show it to show. <laughs> but there you go. But and in the Jedi way, you know, cause I'm a star Wars geek nerd. I star Wars, everything. There are the trials, right? Right. In other words, you have to go through these trials. You have to go through the tests, right? Like Indiana Jones had to go through the maze and jump over the thing and test his faith and test the five other qualities or whatever it was before he got to the lost Ark of the Covenant. Um, a lot of the times, a lot of the things that are happening to you are just the trials. It's like, hey, bring it on. I get it. You, you want you, the universe, whatever it is, want to put me through the trials. Yeah, absolutely. In, in your example there, I, I, it's it's. I constantly think about extremes and things like that too. And like, like a worst case scenario and how a worst case scenario could benefit me long-term without dismissing what that worst case scenario is emotionally or anything like that. But you mentioned mother dying of cancer, like led me into your mindset there as far as like finding joy in a situation like that, just for that example, high level, uh, before we get too far down in the philosophical territory, since we have so much to talk about today, but I'm just curious about that specifically. Okay. So the one thing that cures everything, and there's actually an expression, you know, that's a, that's a, a known expression on some Hallmark cards and bumper stickers out there. And that is time heals all wounds. Right. And what I would literally say to anyone who is dealing with a bunch with dealing with loss right now is wait 15 years. Now that might seem crazy in a long time, but that's like the journey that I went on after my mom died of cancer, ovarian cancer in front of me. She was only 57 years old in 2002. Um, Now the joke I make about it is that I've been unsupervised since I was 31 years old. (laughs) 
right? Which yeah. has been real. That's been a real disaster and a real, you know, how letting me loose on the streets. That's not a good idea. Um, so, so what I mean is that as you, you, it's hard to understand as someone who's in their thirties or even in their twenties or a teenager or whatever that the huge long expanse of time that you are going to be around and walking around on this planet. And a lot of the things that I would say to people that are in the midst of the muck and the muddle and the collie and the, and the, and the, and the, 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 whatever, the loss that they're experiencing or the frustrations that they're having in life where they just can't, you know, figure out what they want. I would say, just stick around, just exist for a little while longer, maybe a couple more years, you know, they just exist. That's all. And in the end, all we are is mammals that eat, sleep and poop for an extended period of time. And then we uh, turn back into dust. That's all there is to it. That's all you need to really do to exist. Right. So chill out on the rest of the stuff that basically is all fa- what we fabricated in our heads as our modern society and how it's supposed to work. Cause we just made it all up. Right. Exactly. I'm getting real like down into the Tao Taoism, whatever the heck I'm doing. <laughs> I love it. And I love your uh, Mickey Mouse mug there. Um, mm-hmm. But um, so, yeah, let's let's talk about your your journey, your, you know, the, the schoolhouse rock days, um, mm-hmm. you know, like and, and specifically what I want to talk about, because you alluded to it already, is the whole the whole Jedi phase. Right. The different the different uh, stages that okay, you go they are not a phase. They've been here forever and they will be here forever. So there's not a Jedi phase. <laughs> Fair enough. Let me educate you, bro. The Jedi have been around forever. Okay, so so I'll go back to the beginning. So uh, when I was born, I was seizured when I was born. A doctor took away me away from my mother and said, you know, your son's going to be a vegetable. He's not going to be able to walk, talk, and think. They think they put me on some kind of drug that gave me a sensory neural hearing loss. So my left ear, I can it can quote unquote hear like through the bones, but it, the nerve isn't connected on the left side. Um, uh, I, so I didn't really speak that. This is what my parents tell me. I, I like started to talk and then I stopped talking and I seemed kind of shy, which is hard to believe knowing me yeah. uh but they put me into yeah but they put me into musical theater school mm. you know overacting and all this with the tap dancing and the musicals and all that kind of stuff and that's where i really came out of my shell i became a real uh theater person the funny 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 story is when i was i don't know three or four years old five maybe my my, my favorite book storybook we had all these storybooks and back in the day kids you would actually go to the shelf, pick out a storybook, and your mom would or dad would read it to you, right, out loud. And it was made of paper and it had pictures. You could actually <laughs> feel them. And not in a pet, a pad with an eye or whatever the heck these things are today. But anyway, there was one called Peter Rabbit, right? Yeah. And and you might know the story of Peter Rabbit. He snuck into the into the other farm and he's trying to get the carrots out of the other farm and all that. So my I had been read this story over and over again. And one day I went up to my dad. I couldn't really write yet. I was only three or four years old. And I said, Dad, get out a pad and get out a piece of paper. I'm gonna write the the play, the monologue of Peter Rabbit. So hmm. I regurgitated the whole story to him. I had I I, I will admit out loud, uh, read with ears, you know, pajama bunny 
things outfit. So my dad took me, he was so amazed by this that I would regurgitate the whole story and like make it dramatic and write out the whole thing. Of course I had this memorized. I can really funny that I can't hear that well, but I remember what I hear. Well, Mm. it's kind of funny. I have a heightened sense of listening because I can't hear that well. So uh, I go to the college, Kane College uh, at the time, and he has all of his college students there. And he says, watch what my kid can do. And I just, you know, I don't know if he said that, but, you know, I acted out the story. So that idea of performance and storytelling and the art of theater and being an actor and being able to jump up on stage at a, at a moment's notice and just perform, that has stuck with me all my life. Now, I kind of shut that down after I finished being a theater uh, theater arts major, you know, in college. Uh, up till then, I was doing off-Broadway shows, scooter computer, TV commercials. Uh, of course, the high school musicals, I was in Chicago. And then uh, Bye Bye Birdie, I was a lead in that. Um, uh, and then, of course, I couldn't get a job, quote unquote, right? Like writing plays or doing acting. I also did not grow up to look like Sean, so I'm not the leading man type. <laughs> Sean is getting called by Brad Pitt's agent as we speak. I connected them together. <laughs> He will be in Oceans, what are we up to, 15, 18 next year? In Vegas. I'm, I'm declining the call as we speak, so don't worry. My, all, your, all my time is yours right I now. I get 15% of that deal, Sean. Pick it up. <laughs> what are you doing? What are I talking about? So, <laughs> uh, okay, so we're in the theater. And then uh, and then I got a ma- – so the, the, the funny story that I tell is that I couldn't get a job. I was working at a radio shack. Which was funny because somehow I had an innate ability to sell. I loved selling things. I was like the top salesman of the big, giant, clunky computers they had in 1993, 94. And then my mother said to me, okay, you're going to go to graduate school and you're going to get a master's in communications and go into television. So I said, okay, mom. So I went out to Montclair State University, you know, New Jersey. Real quick, did your mom actually sound like a Sesame Street character? I don't say so now. People have told me that it sounds like Marge Simpson. I hate the Simpsons. Oh, you know, yeah, it does. I, I just, <laughs> but it sounds like her. And I, that's just the voice I made up. And it used to be a big part of my comedy routine. Okay, so my mom was crazy. She would say that she would blurt out, it was like Tourette's syndrome of fear, right? She just blurt out the most awful, most depressing things, weird stuff at totally the wrong time. Like all of a sudden, I'm just sitting there in the living room playing my Nintendo 64. She comes running over to me. If a man happens to come to the door with a million dollars, don't sell the cat. (laughs) Okay. I said, Ma, for a million dollars, I'll eat the cat. (laughs) For Pete's sake. So we'll get rid of the cat. We get rid of the cat. But anyway, so, uh, so I did that. And then 97 was when these little floppy disks came out. I was even doing stand up comedy. Uh, in New York City, if you wow. Google my name and Caroline, you'll see me knocking them dead at the biggest club in New York back in 96, uh, which is 20-something odd years ago now, 21, 22 years. It's really crazy. Yeah, I just passed the 30th anniversary of my high school graduation, which was 89. Wow. But anyway, so then I went through that, and then these little floppy disks came out that said HTML. I remember getting one. You had It was Tri-Cities or something with AOL or something. You plug the thing in, and all of a sudden, it's 
you know, you can type and publish this document in this web thing. I made a little page with my headshot from show business for my stand-up comedy or something I was playing around with. And I just said, this is it. This is the next thing. This is what's going to change the planet. I have to learn this. So people in my generation, you don't understand we're going on late twenties going into 30. We just learned it ourselves. We just figured it out. You know, there wasn't a YouTube, there wasn't anything. There was a public library. There was like, you know, and then of course the web itself that we had to just start looking at these things and figuring it out. So I was doing that. I was in the corporate world during the dot-com boom. Everything got really unethical. There was a, you know, advertising agency shift over to making websites and they charge you 120, $220,000 for a three page website. Woo. You know, like, this was a huge thing, you know, website. Oh, wow. You know, we'll put you on the web. And I thought it was unethical because I could do the work in five minutes. Like I, you know, and they were paying $90,000 a year for SEO. This is before Google. People were doing yeah. SEO, MSN and Excite and Yahoo and this. And again, I looked at the reports that they sent into the company and they were from a program called Web Position Gold that I could buy at CompUSA. Now I'm really dating myself. These were computer stores. <laughs> oh, CompUSA. That was it back in the day. It was CompUSA. That's where you went to go look at the computers. And before that, at the Menlo Park Mall, let me tell you, it was B. Dalton Bookstore. And they had a special section way in the back, software. Like this was, you know, anyway. You, you, you're, were you from the Bay Area originally? No, New Jersey. Oh, but Menlo Park, you lived there for a while, right? Okay, so, sir, I'm going to give you an education lesson on geography, okay? There was this guy named Thomas Alva Edison, who, by the way, said there's two types of people in this world, those who are successful and those who quit. He rolled this filament together over and over and over again and experimented and finally made it light up and invented this thing called the light bulb, Right. When asked, when asked about it, he said, well, wow, you, 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 wow, you invented the light bulb. And he said, no, I, I figured out 50,000 ways not to make a light bulb. And he made the light bulb and he just never quit at it. So he was the wizard of Menlo Park, which is a central part of New Jersey. Mm. Okay. And his mom was in, and I grew up in what the town that used to be called Raritan Township that they named after him called, um, called uh, Edison, New Jersey. So I don't care what's going on in California with you copycats out there, but I was born on the East Coast where that dates back to the 1600s where everything was invented and this whole country started. Thank you. Okay, I just explained East Coast, the original. Okay, so here's a funny story about that. Listen, so I used to live in Oberlin, O and then Berlin, Kansas, Okay. Now, when I lived there with my ex-wife, I would look around the town and everybody looked the same. And I thought, wow, this is like West Virginia. Like, you know what they say about that? Like, what's going on out here? So then I realized something. It's Berlin, oh, Berlin, okay? There yeah. was also Dresden and all these other towns around it. Those are all cities in Germany. So it wasn't that people were inbreeding out there in the middle of the West, Midwest, whatever. It was that they all were German and of the same heritage and they settled in the same place and da 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 da. But here's the funny thing there is also an Oberlin, Ohio, right? And then if you go further east, there's another Oberlin. So the settlers that came from the east, this proves my theory of why you're not the original at Menlo Park. Okay? In California? Okay. Like, like no. Okay. 
So they, uh, uh, there, there are cities that go across, you know, the country from farm settlements all the way up to big cities that are all have the same name as you go east to west because the settlers, some of them dropped their goods and said, heck, we're just going to settle here and be farmers in the middle of eastern, or no, western Kansas. So anyhow, I learned HTML. I said, I'm going to start the world's first ethical website design company. I had no idea how to run a business. My, my parents were educators. They did not know anything about business or money. And um, then uh, I was working at a company called SyncSort. My mom passed away. I, had, I, I was engaged to a young lady that I met in, through the internet in 1998 when I was working at MSNBC. Her name was Melissa. Well, still is. I just never <laughs> talked to her in years. But anyway, the um, so my mom dies of cancer. I moved to Las Vegas, of all things. The greatest thing about living in Las Vegas was I got a job selling timeshares. Oh. And I met a guy by the name of Corey Posge who taught me how to sell. And we could do a whole podcast episode on selling because I love selling. I sold you. I got on the show. <laughs> you know, you didn't want me, and then I, somehow I manipulated you into this, and now you have no idea what the heck Daryl started talking about, other than telling you that you don't know geography or anything. <laughs> but you do. Geography is not my my thing. That's fair. And you have to stop hanging up on Brad Pitt's agent because we're trying to make you here. But anyway, that was called the callback. When I mention something now that happened before, that's called a callback in comedy. I'm pulling up the same punchline from before. Okay, make notes, kids. Yeah. Um, and then, okay, so then I'm divorced. I live in Denver now. 2010, we're up to. Facebook comes along, you know, and then YouTube came along a little bit before that. And and all of a sudden, marketing turned into theater. It turned into media. It turned into, it turned into something that I realized has to be theatrical. It has to move people emotionally. So I'm talking, I'm working with a client. We're writing these blogs and these video scripts for him. And he says to me, his name is Jeff. He says to me, Daryl, you sound like me. Like you're writing, like I'm talking, like, how are you doing that? And then I click that I'm an actor. I'm a playwright. I'm a screenwriter. I've been doing this since I was, you know, in, in the, since I was four years old. So that's when it all clicked where I realized that my mantra is marketing is theater. It is the art of starting meaningful conversations. We Theater is rehearsed. You know, it has a bit of a script to it. It has an architecture to it. And 90%, 99.9% of the success of theater, which is also the success or failure in marketing, is in your performance. And nobody thinks about that. They right. talk about the funnels and the gadgets and the email drip funnels and the click funnels and the gadgets and the crap that you're supposed to buy and all the shit, shoot, shoot stuff. I don't know if this is PG-13. <laughs> okay, I'll you can put a poop emoji over that for like two seconds. <laughs> or make a farting noise. Okay. So... So I was talking to a friend. I said, I love this brainstorming script writing thing that I'm doing. What is it? And he turned back to me and he said, you mean the stern storming session? And all of a sudden, now I'm in my mid 40s. This is why I talk about time heals all wounds and just stay alive long enough and something will piece together for you. Believe me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, that was it. Then I had a brand. I had something that I could do. So 
we'll get into my big success story with there where I, where I couple that with SEO and I made an auto mechanic famous and he now runs the largest shop in the country and all these success stories that I've had since I put that together. Um, but to me, again, it all stems from this, that life is a journey of us understanding our own makeup, how we inside of ourselves work and how to tame our gremlins, you know, how to, how to, how to move ourselves into the joy, but also not just as simple as saying, well, just be joyful, damn it. Yeah. You know, which is not how you're, how the minister, father, preacher, you know, preacher said it, you know, God damn it, be joyful. Um, not just that, it's something that deep rooted has to come from this, from this, this knowledge and this a little bit of pride and a little bit of humility of, wow, I'm good at this. Like people are saying, I'm good at this and listen in to when people say, you're brilliant at that. That was so smart what you did, Sean. Sean, you nailed it at that, right? Because marketing and what I do it, it, for you, if I was to work with you, Sean, when I'm going to work with you, because obviously, I mean, you're writing it should be a check right now. I can see it. Add another zero. <laughs> you're good. You're good. Don't worry, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's agent's going to pay for the whole thing if you when you call him back after this. So... <laughs> uh, uh, that's what I do. So, so I love that I've had such an eclectic background. Um, you know, I come from theater and then my father's a philosophy professor. My mom's a school teacher. So I love writing curriculum. Uh, you know, I also love tinkering with machines and HTML. I've taken apart and put it together computers and all that. So I, so I'm creatively technical and technically creative. You have a gifts too. And when you really sat down and said, what are the things that I really slay at? And I don't care if it's as simple as riding a bike or, or cooking great rice. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter. Everybody has these, some things that they just nail it at. And that is your gift to the world. And our job as marketers is to create as many opportunities for you to get to do that thing that you slay at, serving people that don't slay at that, so you can live in this constant joy of abundance of going, wow, this is why I was put on this earth is to do this. And I'm getting to do it. And people see so much value in my gifts. Yes. Wow. Yes, absolutely. That's the whole philosophy of the entire planet. That's it. I mean, if, the, if there was a, the biggest nail in the world, you hit it. You know, it's you hit it right on the head. And, and that makes so much sense. Um, but um, tell me, tell me about the, the Schoolhouse Rock. That, you know how what how did that come about? I know you had the theater experience in the background, and you started oh, getting into those yeah. things. But like, how how did the the scooter computer thing happen? Which you were twelve years old at the time, by the way. Twelve, thirteen years old. Yeah. So so I had an agent, and I had a manager, and I remember her name was Marianne Leone, Italian lady, and uh, she ran this talent agency called Terrific Talent Incorporated. And what it happens is, is that the the casting agent you might seen you might have seen in movie credits casting by right right there's a casting department right so they send out the call they say okay kid twelve years old knows how to sing maybe loves computers I don't know what they said you know so then that signal goes out to all the other to all the agents and all the managers in New York City and they shuffle through their headshots and their people right that they have their kids and then they call and then they pick me they call my mom and dad they say hey can daryl get into new york city at 4 30 tomorrow evening on park avenue six you know 
Sweet 65, right? They tell me where the audition is. So I would go to junior high school. My dad would pick me up from school at 2.30 in the afternoon. We'd race into New York City to beat the traffic. He would drive around the block while I would go up the building in, in Manhattan and audition. And literally, it's a room of kids, you know, my age. And you go in there. They maybe give you a part to sing or maybe they, you know, ask you some questions or give you a script to read or something like that. And I don't really – I remember – I remember the second, so we filmed, we did three episodes and then we came back a year later to do a fourth. And I remember going back there because they wanted to see if I had the same voice, you know, if I hadn't dropped in pitch or anything like that, which won't, it wouldn't happen for decades, you know, later, but anyway, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> so the, uh, wouldn't have, that was years, decades away. Um, so, okay. So then you're in this big giant recording studio. I don't know where it was in Manhattan Times Square, wherever it was, huge thing with the band equipment around and all that. They've got the music recorded. I'm working with Noel, Newell and Yui, the two, the advertising agency executives that created Schoolhouse Rock. A lot of people don't know. It was actually created by an ad agency and they used to do the cartoons for like cereal commercials and, you know, kind of stuff like that. I worked with Bob Caliban, who I believe is still alive. I saw him on Facebook uh gosh knows he must be in his 70s 80s i don't know he was the king of voiceovers he did more now now you gotta go dig back to the 70s now okay or the 60s late 70s you know whatever and 80s right morris the cat the tidy bowl man you know all of these famous characters morris the cat was for nine lives cat food and the cat would talk you know oh thank you very much for this delicious meal you know, or whatever it was. They may make the cat talk in the 70s, 80s commercial, the funniest thing. And you can go find those. Um, you can even Google Daryl Stern commercial reel. And I put all the TV commercials together that I've ever been in. But um, so he had, a, I forget, I can't, I, I mean, I can vaguely remember, but I remember being the big giant headphones, you know, gigantic with the giant microphone. And I'm singing the song. They do the playback of the music. I sing the song. They gave me a direction or two to sing it louder or softer or this or that. The funny thing is if you listen to it, it goes, um, here I am and there you stand such distance in between because I am a human and you are a machine. And it's so funny because I, cause you can so hear my New York accent, my New Jersey you can hear it in my voice. I, I, yeah, I didn't realize you don't realize the accent that you have. So if you listen to it closely, you could tell that it's a kid from New York or New Jersey singing it. So then we waited and waited after I recorded the first three episodes. I got a letter in the mail saying, oh, it's going to be on TV. So my grandparents were at the house. My parents were at the house. We're watching Saturday morning cartoons, either Scooby-Doo or, oh gosh, the first video game that had computers in it, uh, that had animation, like a which way video game dirk dirk the dungeon dungeons and dirk, whatever i'll find i'll find it. It, it was a famous video game that had a cartoon and it would get up to a point and you got to hit the joystick and it play another movie clip off of a laser yeah. disc or however it worked and it was like an animated cartoon video game okay so, so they had the cartoon on then all of a sudden the tv commercials come on at i think 11 30 in the morning you know saturday morning and it goes, when school lets out, I race right home. And all of a sudden, it's me singing, coming out of the TV. Or every kid that's watching ABC now, a couple million, you know, that just finished watching Scooby-Doo, 
are hearing my voice on national television. And I thought that was the first time that I got to see the cartoon. I saw pictures of it, like drawings, but not the actual cartoon. And there I am. And so what the funny thing was, was I started screaming. My mom started screaming. My grandmother was a little bit confused. We kept on going like, he's on the TV. Like, you know, like that's Daryl. You know, like they're also everybody's screaming. And then that night we went to, the mall and spent, I think my parents spent $800 on this 800, 80 pound, 90 pound, it felt like 800 pound device by Hitachi called a VCR. Okay. Uh-huh. And then the next weekend I could hit record like right when it would come on and try to catch it. And okay. So here's the whole legend of the rest of scooter computer. Finally, 27, 30 years later, they come out with the, with the four set uh, CDs of it, and you can get the CDs and I'm on it, the audio. But then the 40th anniversary of Schoolhouse Rock uh, DVD set has three episodes, not four. They lost the very first one, which is the one that I'm singing in. And in 2014, 2013, I found it on VHS. The tape was almost like damaged to the point where I couldn't you know, play it. <laughs> And I got it off of there with RCA jacks into the computer, USB, and I dubbed it. So I think that I'm the only person in the world that actually has the copy of it. And I finally put it on YouTube and it has, you know, I don't know, tens of thousands of views and people every every so often talk about Scooter Computer. Wow. That's incredible. That's awesome. Here's the funniest thing. So what Scooter Computer was talking about with what a computer could and couldn't do, that if the computer can't really feel... It can't think. All it can do is process data and feed it back to you. Right. Right. Based on the software, the instructions that you give it. Right. So in the thing, they say, name the states that border on the great Pacific Ocean. Uh, He's sure to have the answer if the program all was right. Uh, He spits out for the deal. Okay. So I just sang you part of it. So only I was in a much higher voice back then. But the basics of that, which is all a computer, I don't care how sophisticated your smartphone is, it's just doing that same thing just much, much, much faster with much, much, much more capacity, you know, capacity and speed. All this is, is a thing that's taking my instructions, running a program, and then feeding me back whatever it's supposed to feed me based on what it's doing. Right. That's still what a computer does now. <clears throat> Absolutely. So So we're now in this age where you can talk to your home and you can ask the computer what weather it is and all that. All it's doing is the same thing that it used to do 30, 40 years ago, where I'd ask it a question, what's the temperature outside? And it's got some sensor and it comes back with a number. But now it has the Siri voice or the Google voice and you, you think it's talking to you. But it's still it doesn't actually have a personality or a soul or whatever. Right. So there you are. Well, um, that brings me my honestly my next my next bit here is um, you know what what about having that theater and voice acting background has given you the perspective on marketing that people find valuable now? Sure, I tell everybody that wants to market themselves, and the real key way to do that is with video is to take an acting class, to take a stand-up comedy class, to take an improv comedy class, take a singing class, uh, learn how to be a theater artist. And what cracks me up really is that all of us theater geeks 
that weren't supposed to have any kind of jobs or careers or anything are <laughs> booming. Because think about it, the one, the people that are the most convincing, right, in the performance, right, of what they're doing in their media are the ones that are winning now in terms of getting the a tribe and Facebook likes and Instagram things and whatever. Um, a coupled with that is the art and science of script writing and language. And so when I uh did radio and voiceover work which i took a whole class in in new york too i think i was more like in high school or college or after college we would print out the script and we would bold certain words and put symbols in as to where to pause so that this very important thing that i am teaching you now would have more impact there it is. There it is. Do there you understand? So, yeah. so, in a, so it's kind of funny because there's a symbolic thing between computers and drama. HTML and everything else, the world, the web browser and how the programming works makes it look like something that's readable on a page, right? The paragraph symbols are there. Certain words are bolded. You know, we can see the typography, all these different things that we can see on it. But the data, believe it or not, is just one big long run on sentence that goes like this and then hashtag that. It's a terminal, right? Which is just a terminal feed. You can think of it like the stock market ticker or the old ticker tapes. If you see those in in old movies where the tape is just coming out and they got ribbons and ribbons of data, right? The tape that's that's coming out of the machine. It, so the so the 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 performance in the media is also emphasized too by this thing called HTML, which is hypertext markup language. Yeah. Right. Markup language. Right. Which is not a programming language. It's the same thing that your English teacher used to do when she would mark up your English essay and say, oh, no, paragraph here. This should be bold, underlined, whatever she would. She would correct and mark up the language. Right. So there's a great similarity between, again, like what I what what Scooter Computer taught everybody. And then now what's happened in terms of the Web and all that is that. We're using these machines to simulate something, an experience that we've already that we're already familiar with. A website is a book. Yeah. Uh, some websites look like magazine layouts. You know, all these different kinds of things that already existed that we just made the computer emulate. Which is kind of funny because you can buy things like an emulator now, where you can work make your PS Vita into an old that Nintendo sixty four. It's called an emulator. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. I get really nerdy, geeky now. Um, so that, so with that consciousness and that understanding, we would then be able to see what the true power of this thing, of these things are, and what also they cannot do. The dangerous thing, and I'm going to go way off into another philosophical tangent, is people thinking that this data in a text message or a social media post or whatever is real life. You cannot and should not be interpreting or having too much of an emotional reaction to these interactions you are having through these computer programs and machines. Because... I can see you now, Sean, you know, through that. I can hear you. I can see your reaction. I can tell if you're getting bored with what I'm saying. I can tell if it's interesting. You know what I'm saying? This is communicating, 
right? Not but any other way is, is other than literature, you know, which is a valid way of communicating. Um, you have to be careful and be constantly aware of that and not get emotionally attached to this stuff that's all over the interwebs. Right. Absolutely. Um, now, at the time of this recording, um, we've experienced the first few months of the COVID-19 or coronavirus uh, pandemic. Uh, how do you see this strange time as being uh, or how, how this time is currently impacting businesses from your perspective and likewise from your clients and other businesses that are not your clients' perspective? It's a big shift. It's a big shift. And I feel very fortunate. And at the same time, I really have a deep amount of empathy. Empathy is when we feel things together, by the way. Sympathy is when I feel sorry for you. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have sympathy. I have empathy right. for those who have been in a career or a job that involves meeting you in person, you know, it, it literally that, that literally it's an in-person job, be it a service like cutting hair or serving beer or uh, something like selling insurance or something where you did this door to door business networking, knock on, you know what I'm saying? Meeting people yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, the, what I have been doing now in a scurry is helping people and giving people all kinds of scholarships and help to shift them very quickly from doing a service in person. Like I just, before this podcast recording today, I was working with a lady named Angel Marie. Uh, she's amazing. She's a Reiki healer. She's very, 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 very talented at what she does, but her whole business is in person. Yeah. And what I did, what I taught her to do is say, look, there's a way to do this without actually putting your hands on the other person. You know, so we broke that down into self-care and some basic lessons you could give on taking better care of yourself and your water balance and, you know, fielding a field of protection around you and more mind awareness and, you know, things that she teaches. And now she's about to launch an online course in this. Uh, and she has a tremendous social media following already. Um, so there's that from the business aspect where for some of us, YouTube is booming. There's more people watching it than ever. Everybody's stats are going up, right? And all those kind of things. So now is the time to tap. If you've always thought, wow, well, I never, I didn't really want to wait tables the rest of my life. I really like blank. Now's the time to get out your phone, get a, get a microphone, clip it onto yourself and do that thing and start broadcasting that and put it out there. You, you will learn as you go. I can help you with those kind of things, but but we're shifting over to an, into a world where you, you're not going to be able to rely on the things that maybe you relied on. The other part, Sean, that's, that's really actually great in a crazy way about this is two things. One, we're really going to value a hug more. We're really going to value hanging out together and meeting people in person more. We're really going to value our friends, our family, and our relationship a lot more. And here's my hope and my wish about it is that all this now understanding that there are germs and we can't just be touching things and coughing on each other and whatever the heck we're doing, that we need to be a little bit aware of that. Maybe not possibly to the extent that we're doing now, okay? Um, but uh, now that we're sensitive to that, maybe there won't be so many flu cases this year, right? Maybe people that have been cooped up so much will realize, my gosh, I can't wait to walk around and they'll start walking around more and they'll lose some weight and get rid of their type two diabetes. 
this is my hope. My hope is that to shift people into a consciousness about their health, you know, and their well-being with, hey, wash your hands every day. Hey, wear a mask. Hey, da da da, da you know, be clean, you know, and all that. That might actually make, you know, the high cost, I'm going to go way out on a limb here, the high cost of prescriptions and medical care go down because less of us are getting sick. Who knows? We'll see. Well, my wife is a doctor and she tells me stories about there's certain people out there who, um, uh, maybe not necessarily psychosomatic, but there's a lot of issues that people think are much more severe than they actually are. And, um, there are still people like that out there. And be, even after this pandemic is over with, there's still going to be a lot of those types of folks out there. Hopefully it's a lot less than before, but still, I think we're going to encounter a lot of that still, but Regardless. Well, it's made me focus more on my work. It's yeah. made me work harder because because you can't go to the mall. You can't go to the movies. You can't just, you know, go out to eat and sit around and, you know what I'm saying, putts around. All those distractions are closed down. So it's actually made me get up and kick more butt than I ever had before. I'm working with more people now than I have in five, six years yeah. uh, on all different kinds of projects. So, um I, you know, it it also is funny the way we think of things, you know, back in the Cold War, we thought it was nuclear weapons, you know, then we thought this, then we thought that, then we think it's, you know, political interference, da, da, da. and then we get hit with Mother Nature, right? Like the ultimate, the ultimate, the ultimate thing that could take us down in an instant, which is something that's microscopic and da, 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 and all those kind of things. Um, I think a lot of positive things are going to come out of this more than negative, I hope. So we'll yes. have to see about that. But for me, in terms of what I do and what I teach, it's now it's even more important to discover how this thing called the internet works and online courses and Kajabi and Thinkific and WordPress and blogging and SEO and YouTube tags and all these other things that are free for the most part, that if you just learn a little bit about it and stay persistent and consistent with what you're doing, the world can open up to you. Well, that's a perfect segue, actually, to the next point that I wanted to bring up. And, um, you know, I personally thought that the coronavirus, kind of touching to what you're talking about, has been unfortunate, but yet it's been a blessing in disguise for certain small businesses to modernize their marketing tactics, like, you know, utilizing their social media, doing the Google search rankings or SEO, rather, uh, you know, mm -hmm. delivery services like Uber Eats, Postmates, DoorDash, all those, uh, their e-commerce efforts. Now, proving that they shouldn't have relied too heavily on traditional foot traffic driving methods like bench ads, billboards, sides of buses, etc. But let me give you an example. Uh, you know, a, a new favorite bakery of mine and my wife's didn't exist on Uber Eats until after the pandemic happened. So honestly, shout out to Merely Sweets in Brea, California. Their carrot cake is amazing. Um, mm. <laughs> I believe a new sign in the mail before this podcast. So I don't know what's up, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I should have done that. Damn it. Um, it. I believe a newfound sense of urgency arose due to the lack of foot traffic. Um, speaking more granularly on marketing and those types of efforts that you help people with. What's your opinion on all that? 
Okay, so for, so I'll start off with something that is going to sound bizarre, but it has a point to it among this. The overall secret, I think, to living life in some kind of a semblance of, you know, calmness, or I don't, I don't like balance, you know, I'm always proud to be a very imbalanced person. But, but what I would say is, um, is what if you could feel the same way, behave the same way, have the same mental attitude towards life if your bank account had negative $20 in it or a million dollars in it? In other words, what if you were the same mentally in your mindset and your heart set and everything, no matter what this imaginary bank account number is that's going up and down and down and up? Because when it's down, we get desperate and we fall into scarcity. When it's too high, we can get manic and start spending too much and whatever, get anger, bossy, cocky, arrogant, whatever you want to call it, you know, um, be too much full of pride or whatever it is. So um, where where I'm going, I, I'm kind of like weaving that back into what you were talking about in your question is that when we can find that place in us, then all these other things don't affect us so much, if that makes any sense. You know, all these things don't really affect us so much if we're, you know, in tune with what our gift is and how we serve the world. Okay. So speaking on the practicality level of it, when we talk about marketing efforts and actual strategy, what could you say weaves into that? Uh, Okay. So immediately a lot of restaurants turned around and said, I mean, there's a restaurant here that's been here for 80 years, a steak restaurant up on Colfax Avenue. And they immediately said, we're still open. Just come in and drive by. You can still take us home and have the wonderful dinner that you always love Friday night. Just just turn around and, and drive by and do it, you know, and all of those kind of things. Um, you know, there's other types of businesses that have reinvented them, themselves in all different other kinds of ways, like delivery and all those kind of different uh, um, type of stuff. There's my hair cutter the young lady that cuts my hair was texting us saying, Hey, pay me 20 bucks and I'll give you a zoom lesson on how to cut, trim your hair down a little bit. You know, it's like be inventive and, and, and do what you can to like, to um, keep going and, and get through this and all this kind of stuff. But the other thing I'll tell you is that virus or not, you know, things come in waves. Sometimes you're on top of the world and sometimes things get taken away from you and you're going to crash and burn and fail and restart and reboot and all that. So if something, for whatever reason, if, and if it's this virus, just has to close up shop and has to come to an end, we go on to the next chapter in life and we invent something new. And that's a part of our adventure again, that we're putting, getting, putting our, you know, to go back to what we talked about before, you know, the Jedi trials, this is just another trial to see how inventive we are and how much we can tap into ourselves. Um, uh, you know, I'm working with a yoga place now that might shut down and they said, Hey, look, I, I I'm teaching them how to say, look, they have a 25,000 people on their email list. Ask everybody for a dollar. If half of them do it, you got $15,000 tomorrow, you can pay the rent for the two next two months and then open. You know what I'm saying? Don't be afraid to ask too. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, we're kind of in this, well, this is how it is. The thing is shut down, but the people still love you, right? Have more faith right. in the people that are around you, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, have more faith in the in those who have loved what you've done so far and don't be afraid to ask them for help. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just think it's um it's a really interesting time for people to start thinking about those creative assets and, and ways to improve their businesses and I just think that um for restaurants especially I think we're we're always going to still want to eat. Let me ask you this question. So, looking to the future, 
after the pandemic is over with, what do you believe will be the new trends for businesses to take advantage of, as well as the marketing strategies to tackle new possible challenges they might face? Well, I think you're already seeing the marketing strategies. I mean, if you see what's on TV and how brands are, you know, coming around and, and helping donate to food banks and helping to do things to help us all and how even they're structuring themselves better. If you go to a Walmart and how they've got it all so that people have to stand apart from each other and they're putting lines of tape down and all that. And, and those things are going to stay with us for a very, very long time. Um, I really have got to tell you that I'm thriving you know, and I want everyone to be thriving. I want everyone to understand what the power is of the internet. Now I'm gonna tell you one final joke before we say goodbye. By the way, you can get my entire online course for free. You go to sternstorming, like brainstorming, only S-T-E-R-N.com, storming.com, sternstorming.com. You guys can go to that website that he mentioned, sternstorming.com, and um, kind of work with him and get his insights on, you know, how to improve your marketing overall. And it's, it's at least four hours. Start taking advantage of some of the learning opportunities he has there for you. If you have any questions for Daryl, if you have some questions you want to ask him, you just want to get in touch, you want to communicate back and forth. Uh, there's a few places to do that. Uh, at Daryl Stern on Twitter. That's the easiest and the quickest uh, place to reach him. It's the, the place he's most active. Um, there's at Stern Storming on Instagram. He's also pretty active on LinkedIn as well. So just search his name there. Um, I'll be including those in the show notes for you guys. Daryl, thanks again for joining me. Um, I really appreciate it and providing all that insight and, and kind of just letting us in on your mindset and how you operate and how you work. Um, and your story, you know, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. So I have one last question before we sign off here, uh, for someone who's listening and considering starting a business in the wake of this pandemic, what's the best advice you can give them about starting one or the marketing efforts for their idea? Like what they, what can they do today? Because you inspired action earlier. You said, now's the best time to do this. What can you give them? So a business solves a problem that exists, right? So listen to me very carefully. A business, right, solves a problem that exists in an industry, okay? The guy that created Priceline was at an airport. He wanted to travel all over the world, and there's a big lineup at the airport. No one can get their ticket, and everyone's yelling and screaming. And what did he do? He invented the kiosks, you know, and the remote check-ins, and then later Priceline and all the revolutionized travel. So it would be much easier for us to get our tickets and our, on board a plane. That's a problem, you know, that was out there in the world that, that, that you could solve. So that's the first thing. And there's two other words that might sound crazy, but they're called it's called profit margin <laughs> you know in other words you know and it might sound silly but but literally let's make sure that that what we're doing you know can make a profit you know what i'm saying that we actually have some kind of a profit between you know with what we're doing and what we're selling and all that kind of stuff sounds good well again thank you so much daryl for being on the on the podcast really appreciate it and um, everyone, if you have questions about Stern Storming, shoot them on Twitter. Uh, go ahead and start a conversation with them and learn a little bit more. Or just go to the website, sternstorming.com. 
Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the New Inspiration Extraordinary Gentleman podcast. If you enjoyed the content, give it a like, subscribe, and if you know someone who needs to hear this or wants to hear this, share it with them. Don't hold back. Let them hear it. And if you have any questions for me or my guest, we'd love to answer those questions for you. So shoot me a tweet, DM me on Instagram, leave a comment below on YouTube, or find me on Facebook. If you have Anchor FM, you can message me on my station. The username is at New Inspiration, N-U-I-N-S-P-I-R-A-T-I-O-N. And as always, make the rest of today extraordinary, gentlemen.